And this text that we look at this morning, I believe, is very appropriate for the day in which we're living. And in particular, I've been privileged over the last week to visit two people in hospital. Both of them were told by doctors that they're dying. And what a privilege to be with people, to sit with them in what appears to be their final hours or days. What a privilege. But the truth is, all of us must be willing to consider that these might be our last days. These might be our final hours on earth. It's interesting, Matthew Henry once said that neither man's greatness nor their goodness will exempt them from the arrest of sickness and death. It doesn't matter how great a man to be or how good a man is. None of us can escape sickness or death. Sometimes we imagine that because one person is of great importance in the world, they will be exempt from disease or sickness or death. The whole country was shocked when the prime minister was said to have contracted this coronavirus disease. But we're reminded that no matter how great a man or how good a man, we've heard of ministers dying over the last several weeks from this virus and other, in other illnesses. And I remind you, no matter how great or how good you are, death will one day come for all of us. Sometimes we think that if someone is dying young or early, then they must have done something tragic to deserve such a death. But that's not necessarily the case. That's not necessarily true. Some of God's choicest servants have left this world uh, at a very young and early age. One thing is certain as we consider this passage of Scripture this morning. Death is coming for all of us. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, the wisest man to ever live, wrote in chapter 9 and verse 2, All things come alike to all. There is one event to the righteous and to the wicked, to the good and to the clean and to the unclean, to him that sacrificeth and to him that sacrificeth not. As is the good, so is the sinner, and he that sweareth as he that feareth an oath. This is an evil among all things that are done under the sun, that there is one event unto all. Yea, also the heart of the sons of men is full of evil, and madness is in their heart while they live, and after that they go to the dead. There is one event unto all. One event that we will all experience unless the Lord Jesus returns very soon, and that is death. Occasionally, man is given the mercy, mercy from God, to know that his days are numbered. Occasionally, God is gracious to allow a man or a woman to know that death is coming soon. Sometimes doctors get it wrong, but sometimes a message is given. You have only a few weeks to live. You have only a few months to live. And we might shake our heads and say, what a tragic thing. They've only been given a matter of time to live. But really, you could also look at it like this. What a blessing that they know that very soon their life is coming to an end. 
There have been many a man and many a woman whose life has been taken so suddenly that they didn't have any time to prepare for death. There have been many a person whose life has come to a close so quickly that they never had a chance to set their house in order. And the story that we look at in the Word of God today is a story of a great king, a great king, a good man who had done much good for the nation of Israel. He was great in his status as being king, but he was also good in all that he had done for the people of God. But in all of his goodness and in all of his greatness, still death came to him at an early age. He was about 39 years old when the message came from the prophet. Look at our text, Isaiah 38 and verse number one. In those days was Hezekiah sick unto death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amoz, came unto him and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord. Now, can I just say to you, the doctors can get it wrong, can't they? But when God speaks, it's worth listening. Thus saith the Lord, set thine house in order, for thou shalt die and not live. Think about this for a moment. The warning sent from God, set your house in order because you are going to die. You will not live. The man was ill. He was sick. Sick unto death, the prophet writes. And instead of getting better, his condition only seemed to get worse. And then the message came from the prophet, the prophet Isaiah. By the way, Isaiah had already visited Hezekiah twice on two previous occasions and brought good news. But this time, the man of God brings bad news. Can I say to you this morning, you can't expect to hear only good news from God's men. You can't expect to only hear blessing. You've got to be willing as well to hear that which might be painful. Here's a man who was 39 years old, coming up on 40 years old. We know that according to our text, the Bible says in Isaiah 36 and verse number 1, and the 14th year of the reign of Hezekiah. And we know that Hezekiah died at age 54. He had 29 years of, of reigning as king. And if he had an extra 15 years added on his life at this point, well, then he was 39 years old. A young man. He was successful. He did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. He brought spiritual reform to the nation of Israel, tore down the high places, opened up the temple of God and cleared it out, reinstated temple worship. He was a good man. Had just come through a national victory against the Assyrians. So be careful. Be careful that with all of our rejoicing, we also hold it with a bit of trembling. He had just had victory over this Assyrian army. And now the bad news came. You're going to die. Can you imagine? The scriptures tell us, boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. Don't get too excited when you are, are going through a great victory and you come over, over a great mountaintop. Don't get too excited because you don't know what shall be on the morrow. And we must be just as willing to hear the bad news from God as we are the good news. 
The message was very simple. You're going to die. I don't know if there are ever any words that a person could hear that would affect the heart and soul like those. You're not going to live. Set thine house in order. Because you're going to die. Every once in a while a doctor will bring the message to someone who's ill in hospital and to their family. Such was the case a week ago yesterday. We were called in and able to visit because the doctors told the family, you are going to die. Therefore, you need to get sorted what needs to be sorted. I don't know if there are any words worse than those to hear. Now, can I tell you this morning, it would be far better for you and I to set our house in order while we are in good health than wait until we find ourselves lying on a sickbed. It would be much more profitable to set our house in order now while we're healthy and strong than to wait until we get word that you're going to die. Set your house in order. Most people are not really bothered, are they? Most people are not really bothered about getting right with God and and setting their house in order and getting right with friends and family and, and making sure everything is sorted for the ones they leave behind. Most people are not really bothered until they feel the urgency of a life-threatening circumstance. Set thine house in order. And especially get your heart in order. Can I ask you this morning, is your house in order? If you were to receive a telephone call today from a doctor saying, you need to get things sorted because you have just a matter of days to live. Is your heart in order? Your affections, set your affections in order and your affairs in order so that when it comes time to die, there's nothing left to do but die. We ought to live our lives in such a way our life, our house being set in order so that if death should come unexpectedly, there's nothing left for us to do because it's already been cared for. How do we set our house in order? Let me ask you this morning, are you right with God? Because no man is ready to breathe their final breath. No one is ready to leave this world unless Their heart is right with God. We were called to the hospital last week for that one purpose. The daughter of a dying man rang and with through tears said, Would you please come and speak to my father and pray with him? The doctors told him he's going to die. And I want him to be right with God. We visited the hospital and We're given the opportunity to spend two hours with this man, tears streaming down his face as he whispered the little prayer, I'm certain in his own heart, God be merciful to me, a sinner. Man acknowledged his need of Christ, cast himself upon the Savior. He wanted to be certain that he was right with God. Can I ask you this morning, are you right with God? Do you have peace with God? 
If the Savior were to come today, are you ready? If you were to breathe your final breath today, if your heart all of a sudden stopped beating today, are you right with God? How else can we set our house in order? Let me ask you this. Are you right with man? What about your family? Far too many people wait to get things right with their family members until they're dying. Many years ago, I was asked to take the funeral of a, of a dying man. I went in to visit with him, and he said, I haven't spoken to my brother in seven years. Would you pass a message to him? Why wait until you're on your deathbed to make things right with the people that you love? Are you right with man? Are you right with your family, with your friends? Are your business affairs sorted? On a practical note, I have six little children. Am I going to leave my family in a bunch of debt while I go skipping on the streets of gold? Set your house in order, is the message. Matthew Henry suggests we set our house in order with four things. With a renewed act of repentance. If you knew, are you listening? If you knew that this week you would meet God, I'm certain that each one of us would spend much time in repentance. Repenting from the sin that we've committed. With a renewed act of faith. If we knew that our time was short, and we would step out and attempt great things for God. If I knew that I was going to die this week, believe me, I, would care, I wouldn't care a hill of beans what the government or anybody else thought about me if I knew I was dying this week. Wouldn't you? If I knew this week I'd stand before God, I'd take a great step of faith and do things I would never dream of doing otherwise. How else can we set our house in order? Mr. Henry says it with a renewed act of repentance, a renewed act of faith, a renewed act of resignation to God. Meaning, God, you know best. Thy will be done. Not my will, but thine be done. A re resignation to God. I am thine, O Lord. I have heard thy voice. What about you? Do you belong to him? Are you yielded to him? Have you been arrested by the wonderful bonds of love? And you'll say, Lord, the love of Christ constraineth me. How about this? Matthew Henry says, renewed acts of repentance, renewed acts of faith, renewed acts of resignation to God, and with cheerful farewells to this world and longings for the next. I'd hate to leave this world holding on tightly to the things in this world, wouldn't you? When it comes time for me to go, I don't want to be grasping as if I'm being drug away from this world. I want my hands to already be open and let go of the things of this world. Are you ready? Is your house set in order? Now, being ready to die doesn't make it come sooner, but it definitely makes it easier when it does come. 
Setting your house in order doesn't mean that, oh, if I, if I get ready to die, then, I'll, then I'm going to die. No, some people think that. They think if they don't think about, they don't want to think about death because if they think about it too much and they plan for it too much, then they're just going to make it come quicker. You're not going to make it come quicker by making yourself ready, but it will be easier when it does come. Look at his prayer. The word comes, you're going to die. What's he do? What do most people do when bad news comes? What do you do when a bit of bad news comes your way? Do you run to the closest pub or the closest liquor store and try to drown your sorrows in the drink? Do you try to run from your problems and act like they're not real? Do you try to say the doctors don't know everything? They don't know it all. Do you deny it? Do you go and tell everybody your problems? Do you look for sympathy from the rest of the world? Or do you do what Hezekiah did? Then Hezekiah turned his face toward the wall and prayed. Prayed. Where else does a child go when things go wrong but to his father? Who else does a little one run to when they've been hurt or disappointed but to their father or mother? Hezekiah prayed. He had already proven that time spent in prayer was not wasted time. And in 2 Kings you find the exact same record of this account. And, but you find in 2 Kings 19 two separate occasions that he prays. In verse number one, it came to pass when King Hezekiah heard it. That's the bad news. The bad news that the Assyrian army was just at their walls after defeating uh, city after city of the Jewish nation. Now they were there outside of his city. The Assyrian army. It came to pass when King Hezekiah heard it, he rent his clothes, covered himself with sackcloth, and went into the house of the Lord. Where do you go? Where do you go in the day of trouble? Where do you go when bad news comes your way? Verse number 14 of the same chapter, and Hezekiah received the letter of the hand of the messengers and read it, and Hezekiah went up into the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. Do you know what we do sometimes when bad news comes our way? We spread it all around the country. But do you spread it before the Lord? Do you take all of this bad news that you've been given and lay it out before God? The God who knows all things. The God who knows the truth about everything. The God who knows more about your body than the doctors do. The God who knows more about the corrupt governments around us than you do. The God who knows the truth about the coronavirus and everything else happening in the world right now and the forced vaccines and the, and the, and the injections and all the things that people are fearful of. Do you spread it out before the Lord or do you just send video after video around to everybody else? Hezekiah went into the house of the Lord and spread it out before the Lord. 
And Hezekiah prayed before the Lord. What do you do? Have you seen God answer your prayer before? Has God ever performed and worked great miracles before? Is there anything too hard for God? Then pray. Pray. Not moan and complain and, and wish that you'd have done things differently. No, no, just pray. The only way to change the unchangeable is through prayer. The only way to face the impossible is through prayer. The book of James tells us in the New Testament, chapter 5, he writes and gives us some very wise words. In verse number 13, James says, Is any among you afflicted? Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Now that's not what you want to hear, is it? When you're laid up in a hospital bed and you've just been told you're dying. That's not what you want to hear when you come out of a hospital visit from the doctor and you've been told you only have a matter of months to live. Nobody wants to hear, what do you do if you're afflicted? Pray. Because God knows, James knew, and God knows the best thing you could do is pray. Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Confess your faults one to another, one for another. Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that ye may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again and the heaven gave rain and the earth brought forth her fruit. James knows the best thing you can do is pray. But oftentimes it's the last thing we do, isn't it? We have not because we ask not. But can I tell you, even if God does not answer the way that you hope he answers, prayer is still the best preparation for death. Oh, God may not give you 15 extra years like he gave Hezekiah. And he may not reach down from heaven and touch your little sick body and raise you up to health again. But prayer is still the best way to prepare for death. By it, we, wish we receive strength. By prayer, we receive grace to finish strong. By prayer, our spirit is uplifted. And though our outward men perish day by day, yet is the inward man renewed day by day. The Bible says in our text that Hezekiah turned his face to the wall. A couple of ideas of why he did that. Many believe because of privacy. Perhaps there were others in the room. Of course, the prophet had just come in and he would have been there and 
And when the news came, he turned himself to the wall and, and no doubt about it, he understood that precious principle that our prayers ought to be to God and not to man. Oh, how easy it is sometimes to say a prayer in front of other people, but do you pray when no one is looking? Do you pray when nobody is there to watch or pat you on the back or to say, my, that was a lovely prayer. In Matthew chapter 6 and verse number 5, the Lord Jesus said, When thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corner of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee open. Do you ever pray in secret? Do you ever pray when no one else is looking? Some believe he turned to the wall to have a bit of privacy. Others believe he turned to the wall because that was the direction of the temple where he longed to be. The temple is a picture of our Savior. The tabernacle is a picture of our Savior. And so he turned towards, you could say, the Savior. And that's the direction we ought to turn when we're praying. And we ought to be praying through, for Christ's sake, God. Not for my sake, not because I deserve it, but for thy glory and for Christ's sake. We offer our prayers. And the Bible says after he offered his little prayer, he wept sorely. I think... Tears are oftentimes some of the best ways to pray. Spurgeon used to call them liquid petitions. Sometimes when you don't know what to say, your tears say it all. Some people say, why, why, was, he, why was he crying? Well, he was a young man. He thought he was in the most useful stage of his life. 39 years old, just, just, just passed through great victory. He had no son to take the throne after him. Maybe he thought about all the years of opportunity missed. And maybe these were tears, not just of missed opportunity, but tears of importunity. Look at his prayer. I think his prayer says a lot about the kind of man that he was. A very short prayer. He turned his face toward the wall and prayed unto the Lord and said this, Remember now, O Lord, I beseech thee. Urgent prayer, fervent, desperate prayer. An old preacher of the past used to say, God doesn't answer prayer. He answers desperate prayer. We, we throw up little prayers when we lay our head on our pillow at night. Lord, uh, God is good. God is great. Thank you for the food we ate. Amen. And we think that just because we say words, that that's actually praying. But has your soul been brought to the intimacy with God, an urgency in the presence of God, a fervent prayer? That's what James says, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man. I like the way that James writes this. Effectual, the working prayer. Fervent means red hot, passionate prayer of a righteous man. You can't expect, if you're living wickedly like the devil, you can't expect God to come down and answer all of your prayers like he's some genie in the bottle. 
the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man. Remember now, O Lord, I beseech thee. When's the last time you pleaded with God? Remember now, O Lord, I beseech thee, how I have walked before thee in truth and with a perfect heart and have done that which is good in thy sight. Look, the only, the only thing he asked is that God would remember the way that he lived. Isn't that something? He didn't ask for more years. He didn't ask, he asked God, remember the way I've lived. Now I wonder if that had to be your plea. How much longer would you get? God, just remember the way I've lived. And then you do what you think is best. I'm telling you for many of us, if we had to make a plea about an extension of our days or an extension of grace, I'm certain we would be left empty-handed if it were dependent upon how we've lived. I've walked before thee in truth, meaning not hypocrisy. He wasn't fake. He was real. What he did was real. I think it's interesting. He didn't talk about how he, how he, how he got rid of all the false idolatrous worship. He didn't talk about how he tore the high places down. He didn't talk about how he cleaned out the temple. He didn't talk about how he reinstated temple worship and the worship of God's people. He just said, Lord, you know how I've lived before you. I've walked in truth, no hypocrisy, with a perfect heart, pure motives. And I've done that which is good in thy sight. Interesting, isn't it? He knows that God knows what is best. It was lovely last week when we stood beside the bed of that man in hospital. His daughter said to me, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm at peace. If he should draw his final breath right now, I'm at peace because I know he's right with God. Now that's the right way to respond. That's the right way to respond. Whether he hears my prayer to raise him up or not, or whether he decides to take me home, God, you know best. He was able to pray like this because he walked before the Lord the way that he ought to do. What about you? Remember the way I've walked. And I want you to notice God's answer. Then came the word of the Lord to Isaiah, saying, Go and say to Hezekiah, Thus saith the Lord, the God of David thy father, I have heard thy prayer. Kings tells us Isaiah had went in, told Hezekiah, You're going to die, set thy house in order, turned around, walked out, headed out of the palace, and as he was out, heading out of the palace, walking through the courtyard, God stopped him. Didn't even make it out yet. God stopped him, turned him around and said, go back to the king. Tell him, I have heard thy prayer. I've seen thy tears. Can I tell you this morning, whether God answers your prayer or not according to the way that you want it to be, he hears your prayers and he sees your tears. I have heard thy prayer. I have seen thy tears. Behold, I will add unto thy days 15 years. I will deliver thee and this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria, and I will defend this city. Then he tells him he'll give him a sign by turning the sun back 15 degrees. He'll bring the shadow of degrees, 10 degrees, pardon me. And then we have very unique, we have a writing of Hezekiah 
after he'd been recovered. Look at what he writes, verse number nine. The writing of Hezekiah, king of Judah, when he had been sick and was recovered of his sickness. Now, I, I, I wanted to say something. There are many people who have been raised up from sickness, from the very valley of the shadow of death, and they've run back to the same wicked things they've been delivered from. I'm thinking of, of a man I know right now, twice he's been on death's door in a coma. People have prayed over him, fasted for him. When he came out of it, he had such a fear of God in him. He said, I'll never return to the things that I've done. And today, he's living the exact same way that he was living when he found himself in hospital on two separate occasions. How very foolish. How very foolish if God should grant unto you an extension of life, if God should raise you up out of the sickbed, if God should deliver you through another trial, how foolish for us to return like a pig to the wallow. How foolish to return like a dog to its vomit. Hezekiah wrote some things down. I said, and he gives a little testimony. I said in the cutting off of my days as I was dying, I said, I shall go to the gates of the grave. I am deprived of the residue of my years. I'm, I'm 39 years old and I'm dying. I said, I shall not see the Lord, even the Lord, in the land of the living. I'll never have a chance to go to the temple again. I'll never have a chance to worship God on earth again. I wonder if that's, that would be one of the things you think when death comes. That's interesting. I wonder if you're laying on death's door, if one of the things that you would think while you're laying there is, I'll never be able to worship with God's people in the chapel again. That's the way he thought. He goes on. I shall behold man no more with the inhabitants of the world. I won't see my loved ones anymore. Mine age is departed and is removed from me as a shepherd's tent. I have cut off like a weaver my life. He will cut me off with pining sickness from day even to night wilt thou make an end of me. I reckon till morning that as a lion so will he break all my bones from day even unto night wilt thou make an end of me. He felt as if things were getting worse and worse and worse. He was in more and more pain and he felt as if God was crushing him. Like a crane or a swallow so did I chatter. Not chit chat. No, no, no. The kind of chattering that comes along before you leave this world in death. I did mourn as a dove. Mine eyes fail with looking upward. I got tired. You ever get tired of praying? Oh, Lord, I am oppressed. Here's a little prayer. Undertake for me. That's his request. God, please do something for me. Undertake for me. Come beneath me. Lift me for me. What shall I say? He hath both spoken to me and himself hath done it. I shall go softly all my years in the bitterness of my soul. I'm going to walk very carefully. I'm not going to live carelessly after God's raised me up. I'm going to walk very carefully, soberly, because I know I should be dead. And I'll live carefully. Oh Lord, by these things men shall, uh, by these things men live. And in all these things is the life of my spirit. People will look at what happened and life will be brought to them because of this. So wilt thou recover me and make me to live. And I love the next couple of verses. Look at verse 17. 
Behold, for peace I had great bitterness. I had just had peace from Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, and all of a sudden came great bitterness. But thou hast in love to my soul delivered it from the pit of corruption. Can I tell you something? There's nothing more precious than to know that the Lord Jesus loves you and has delivered your soul from the pit of corruption. The proof, the proof that God loves you, the proof that Jesus loves you is not the healing, no, 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 but that he has cast all of my sins behind his back. That's the proof that God loves you. You see, we, we estimate the proof of God's love by him healing or answering our prayers. But here's a man who was dying and had been raised and he counted the proof of God's love was not in his healing but in the casting of his sins behind the back of God. That's the proof of God's love. And then he goes on to talk about this. Look, if God is going to give me life. Do you know, I, I've, I've changed, over the last couple of years, I've changed the way I've prayed for people who are sick and dying. I've changed the way I pray for them. I pray that they might be raised up that they might live to glorify and testify to God. Because oftentimes we pray for someone's healing for their sake, which is wrong. Why would we want someone to be healed from a sickness just so they could live in this sin-sick world a little bit longer? Why would we want somebody to be healed from their sickness so they could go back to living a life of sin until they do eventually die? No, we pray for their healing that they might glorify God. That they might testify of the grace and goodness of God for the rest of their days. And Hezekiah says, for the grave cannot praise thee. Death cannot celebrate thee. They that go down to the pit cannot hope for thy truth. And so, if I'm raised up, I'll praise your name. And may God forgive us if he raises us up and gives us another chance and another opportunity and we go back to filth rather than praise and celebration. The living, the living, he shall praise thee as I do this day. The father to the children shall make known thy truth. The Lord was ready to save me. I think it's marvelous that God is ready to save. God's ready to save. It's not that you have to awaken a sleeping giant in heaven and hope that he hears your petition. No, he's ready to save. He stands ready today to save. Ready to bless. God stands today ready to bless his children. But we are rarely urgent enough to plead for it. The Lord was ready to save me. Therefore, we will sing my songs to the stringed instruments all the days of our life in the house of the Lord. Until the day that I do die, I will sing praise to him because God was ready to save me. Can I ask you this morning? Have you set your house in order? If the Lord should take you today, are you ready? What do you need to do what is left undone that needs to be done so that you're ready for the Lord to take your soul to be with him? If you're not right with God, that's the very first thing that needs to be sorted today. That can only be done through Jesus Christ. It can only be done by looking unto the one who died for us. 
who laid down his life and took your sins upon himself, suffered as you in your place, it can only be done. You can only be right with God through Jesus Christ. Only. And so if you're not right with God today, I, you don't need me and you don't need my church, but you do need Jesus Christ if you want to be ready. And if you've got that sorted, then make sure you're sorted with the, the ones you love. Make sure you've set your house in order. And may God help us to praise and magnify his name until the day we die. May he help us do those things that Matthew Henry mentioned about, about living with a renewed act of repentance, a renewed act of faith, a renewed act of resignation to God with cheerful farewell to this world and a longing for the next. May God help us to live like that. Let's bow our heads together in prayer this morning and then we'll sing our final hymn. Father, we recognize that death is always imminent. It's always around the corner. We don't know, Father, how much time we have left. Help us to make the most of whatever time we do have left. Help us to set our house in order. And if it would please thee to give us a little more time, then keep us from running back to filth. Keep us from running back to the sins that we've been delivered from. Help us to remember that thou art a God that is ready to save. Even this morning, I pray for the one who, who knows that they're not ready to meet thee, God. Help them to know that the same God that will condemn their soul in judgment is ready to save. The same God that will cast them from thy presence into hell if they do not turn from their sins and believe on the Lord Jesus, that same God is ready to save. Help them, Father, I pray, and help the rest of us to live our, a life of prayer, to live a life of urgency. Help us today to have a renewed act of repentance and renewed acts of faith. Help us to live as if we're dying. For we know not when that day or that hour will come. And I pray that when it does come time for us to bid farewell to this world, it will not be a difficult thing for us to let go. We would very cheerfully pass from this world into the next. Help us, we pray. Grant unto us all that thou wouldst desire for us to have and to be. And we pray these things for Christ Jesus' sake. Amen.